It's good to welcome all of you who are joining with us this evening or whenever it is that you're listening to this broadcast to uh, the Father's Church in Dallas. And uh, tonight's uh, message is, uh, is really kind of excited my spirit. Well, most of the messages do. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I'm always happy to receive what the Lord has given. But tonight is, is uh, really an unexpected insight that is really growing within my heart. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share this this evening. The title of the message is The Spirit and the Bride. And um, uh, we've been talking over the past few weeks as the Spirit has led us to uh, concerning the Spirit within us and that Spirit that is born again uh, when we accept Christ. And, and we've talked about some of the passages in Scripture that refer to this and how it is, it is truly the, the deposit of God, the seed of, of the Lord that is given to every human being through which we have life. And um, in it is, it's kind of the prophetic um, identity of God within us. And it's up to us to partner with that and to embrace that mission to allow that spirit of God within us to pray in spirit and to uh, to commune with God we've talked about those things and as the Lord directs we'll continue to look at it <clears throat> and certainly the spirit is different than that quotient of God's spirit that comes upon us or that is an empowerment from without or is a grace gift it, those those are all God's spirit but it's nothing to compare with the spirit within us that becomes born again there's life there but the true identity of the spirit of God within us becomes activated and alive when we accept Jesus when we accept his blood and when we uh, are born again so here's a passage in Revelation 22 that, frankly, as I believe it, I think it's great, it's powerful, but a certain nuance in it never really made a whole lot of sense to me, and that doesn't disprove the word, doesn't mean I doubt the word, but I knew that there was more to it than what I had received revelation for. And it's in Revelation 22, verse 15 through 17. Um, I don't know why I put verse 15 in there, but it's, it's a real beginning point. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring, there's genos, the, 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 the root of diversities of tongues, of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, when I would read this, uh, it's right at the end of the Bible. 
I was always somewhat perplexed by why the spirit and the bride would say come. The, I could see the bride saying come. But why would the spirit of God say come to himself? If it's just if the spirit was just the Holy Spirit who comes upon us. That to me that just never made sense. Now I never told the congregation that that made sense. And if I ever referenced it, I would say the standard party line. Well, this is the Holy Ghost that is with us. And uh, he is empowering us uh, to pray as we don't know how to pray. And I would, I would go down that line. But I suspect, and I feel very strongly, that this is talking about what God has put in us. The Spirit and the Bride. We, the Spirit is the Spirit of God within us, which we've been talking about. The Bride is basically that, that point of uh, partnership with God, wherein we are saying to Him, I want to be what you want me to be, and I am going to be allowing myself to uh, establish your kingdom and to represent you. Now, we're going to look at this. What is, what is the bride? Um, and we're going to look at that in just, in, well, I guess we can look at it now. Um, in Paul's epistle, he says that when you talk about the bride and when you talk about marriage to God, you're talking about Christ and his ecclesia. That's, that's what Paul says. Christ and the church, or Christ and the ecclesia. So you have the anointed sons as the government of God on earth, those that are the called out ones to represent the kingdom. Now, in Revelation 21, right there in the middle of the sheet on the first page, verse 9 through 11, there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and he talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a megas and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, even as crystal. So here is one of the mighty angels that emerged out of the tabernacle of testimony and shows the bride, the lamb's wife. And it is essentially that heavenly dimension that God is bringing from heaven to earth. So Paul says Paul says that the bride is Christ and his ecclesia. From an angelic perspective in heaven, it is what God is preparing for the earth. And it really is our heritage. The breath of God within us is that gift from him, that quotient seed of the divine within us that permits us to function 
as a child of God. We, that is his seed within us. So we, this, when it says the spirit and the bride say come, it's really more clearly saying that what God gave to us in life, what God gave to us in the book of heaven, uh, when he wrote our names on his hand, what God envisioned for each one of you to be and to do, that and our responsibilities as the ecclesia and our responsibilities of welcoming heaven to earth, those two things say come. And, you know, if, if you just read commentaries, you'll see usually a woman dressed in a white gown and you'll have some glow of the spirit around that woman. And they'll say, that's what it is. The marriage supper of the Lamb and all of those romanticized things. And it is a privilege to come into unity with our Father. But that unity is, it, Paul, Paul described it in the way that you could most clearly understand it on earth. Where we are becoming one with God. We are sharing things uh, in the natural based upon our covenant with him through the sacrifice of Jesus in spirit. And um, we're adopted into that family and we represent him as sons. And, and that unity on earth as it is in heaven is what that marriage really is. And so when it says the spirit and the bride say come, it's interesting that say there is lego which aligns itself with the logos of god it is that building block and um, it it is um, it is is a word that's used to describe when somebody is going to teach on a thing or when somebody is going to enunciate a flow pattern or a progression that's the way it's 90 I don't know, high percentage in the upper 90s. That's the way we can clearly see it is used in the New Testament. And it's different from the word that where you're saying, uh, let him that heareth say. That's not lego. That's epo, which means to enunciate what you know or what you've learned. So the spirit and the bride say that declaration is in accordance with what God has ordained from the foundation of the world. It's your declaration. It's your proclamation. And come there. We often think that just means, oh, even so, come quickly, Lord. But come is an erkomai. And if you look, one of the clearest definitions of this word was found in a theological dictionary, not the TDNT, but a different theological dictionary that I was reading. Uh, and it means, it says that from the time of Homer, not Homer and Jethro, but Homer, the Greek philosopher, this word was used to describe the coming of a people, the coming of an event, the coming of a time frame, or the coming of something that you're anticipating. So um, I don't really think this is saying, in light of what Jesus is saying, <laughs> what Jesus who's there 
uh, I've sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the genos of David and the bright and morning star. He continues, the spirit within you as the bride, Legos, come. Jesus isn't going to be saying, you know, tell me to come. I'm already here. So he's using Legos. He's using our responsibility as the bride, as the ecclesia. He's using the responsibility of us as preparing the way from the kingdom in heaven to earth. We as the, the spirit of God within us and our role as the bride, our declaration as revealed by God is calling the Legos of God, is calling his timing, is calling his events, is calling his things, and is calling his people. We have a lot of work to do. And, and so when you say that, then those who hear this, those who have been taught, those who have come alongside what they have learned, let them then declare what they've learned. Let that become part of their vernacular. Let that become not part of, but let that become their vernacular. And let them, let, them, uh, let them say to those who are thirsting, come. And let those who are thirsting for this, let them come. And let them, uh, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So this is really a great progression for us. If we are representing the Lord as his true bride, what that means, uh, taking our kingdom responsibility, taking our ecclesia responsibility, partnering with the angelic in heaven to welcome heaven to earth, uh, we are making declaration in our intercession, in our proclamations concerning God's timetable, concerning what he has meticulously ordered to be. That's what that's what say is, legos. And we are, we are calling forth his ways. We're calling forth his timing. We're calling forth his events. We're calling forth what he wants to see happen. And this is, this is a really unique thing that the Spirit led us to, especially in light of the way he has been focusing on the, um, this sha'al. Uh, f- ask of me, focusing on the prosuke, focusing on those revelations, the, 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 the declarations of the judgments of God that are supposed to be being received and understood by, understood and received by us so that we declare them proactively. It's interesting that the Lord is making that kind of a revelation, an understanding to us now because to me, that's the only way you can legos what he's telling us to do. You don't want to be just haphazardly popping off anything you want. It's in alignment with his eternal logos. And as you say that, then people are going to come alongside. We've said that. The Elishas are coming. Uh, we've said that uh, and declared it. Um, there are many that are coming saying, let us take hold of the hem of your garment. Let us serve alongside you. We, we see that God is in you of a truth. We want to embrace this calling and we want to do it. So let them come and learn and let them begin to say the things that they've been taught. It's a different word. It's a different word for, uh, for say. It's it, it, just interesting. 
And then that will set the stage for the water of life to flow, uh, the waters that bring meaning, the waters that bring healing, the waters that bring invigoration for the, the desert places, the wilderness places to spring to life, and let those that would come as a response to that, let them come. This is a threefold progression that is really powerful, and I believe that it's for us very clearly today. Now, I want to touch on a couple of things and then get into, to me, that's a pretty um, inspiring insight that, that really stirred me, but the meat of the thing is yet to come in this study. Um, but, but let me just say uh, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> um, this, um, there, there, there are some stones that are um, mentioned. And um, now I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Now, here, just in the early part of Revelation 21, um, you know, right before the angel says, let me show you the Lamb's bride. Uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, this is another depiction of what the bride is. So, then the angel comes and talks to John and says, let me show you the lamb's bride. And, and he shows this. But look at that. Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, adorned is this Greek word, cosmeo. And it is from cosmos. And cosmeo means to put in proper order according to the overall cosmos. That's, that's what it means. Now, you remember in John 3, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, he gave his only begotten son. And he's talking about the overall plan of what God envisions in the universe. And, um, you know, uh, it's really f funny because this past weekend, uh, I was, I decided, I got up really early in the morning. There was some war going on in the spirit realm and so at about four in the morning, I got up and I thought, well, you know, this is, uh, this is West Virginia, so it's probably cool out there. So I went outside and I walked out into the parking lot away from the hotel where I was staying. And I looked up and the sky was filled with stars. It was just beautiful and it was cool out there. It was really nice. And um, I uh, looked up at the stars and I just remembered that verse that said, look, when God spoke to Abram, look at the stars. Your seed will be. That's your inheritance. And I thought, you know, Lord, that's really part of your cosmos. And I just wonder if, if that wasn't just a, a, a reference of 
the the number of offspring Abram would have, but I was wondering if the inheritance of the seed of Abram throughout eternity is going to be ministering the glory of the Lord throughout all of those places that are light years away. But the cosmos is broad, and um, basically when we as a bride are being ordained for our husband, which is God, the way we're adorned is through partnering with his plan for the cosmos and partnering for uh, with him in the meticulous application of what his eternal will is. That's how the bride adorns herself. The bride of Christ adorns for Jesus, is aligning ourselves with the stones of our breastplate, with whatever it is that we're doing for our Lord. And it's, it's interesting that that's the word that's used. It's cosmeo. And um, I just think that's, that's an incredible thing. Now, there are three ways in the New Testament that I want to point out that this word is used. And it's very instructive for us, and we need to see this. So if we are cosmeo as the bride, aligning ourselves with God's eternal identity as the ecclesia, and in welcoming what he wants on this earth, and then subsequently throughout the cosmos, however God, however God is going to be using throughout his vast creation. Um, we, need to, we need to see how best the scripture best advises us. So the first one is Revelation 21, 19. We're still in Revelation 21, and this is you know, the adorned, bride adorned is there, and then comes next in that chapter, the angel showing the bride. And then at the end of this chapter, in Revelation 21, 19, the foundations of the walls of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Uh, garnished the foundation of the wall, the foundation of the breath of God, because those walls, the Bible says, are as the breath of God. Um, the way that foundation is garnished is cosmeo. And arguably, we, as we are serving God, we are helping to establish the foundation of that place because this is, this is how we're ministering to our Lord. And it lists 12 of these stones. The first foundation was, or, or layers, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, 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 that's always been a weird word to me, fourth and emerald, and then it goes on to 12. Now, I pretty much can guess, when you try to do colors of stones in the Bible, it's confusing because everybody on a number of them has a different opinion what the colors are, even the great experts. And, but, but for me, the first seven are pretty clear because of what we know about the seven spirits. Um, when, you, when you see sapphire as second and you see the fourth 
as emerald green, that should pretty much give you a clue that those first seven are following the seven spirits because second is the spirit of glory and of God. It's, it's sapphire. It's that dark blue. And the fourth is going to be prophecy. That's green. So you can figure out that jasper in this is jasper is going to be a purple, which is sonship. So everything's first established by sonship partnering and sonship. That's what God has done this all for. He hasn't done it just for himself. He's done it for you and me because he loves us. For God so loved this cosmos that he gave his son that you and I could be redeemed to him. So this is important. So the, the very base of what it is is God's love for us as sons and partnering with him as sons. It's the base, just like this seventh, this spirit of truth and sonship is always looking at what God has done, but looking then into the new day. And I think that's great. I I just think that's beyond great. The second sapphire, the third. So Chalcedony then would arguably be the light blue of the saints. Maybe this could be the Chalcedony room. I don't know. And the fourth, that would be prophecy, but then it goes on, and there are 12 of them. So I don't really have a clue as to what those other five are, you know, after the seven. You know, we know that eight is basically uh, the, the great grace. Eight is the new beginning. Uh, eight is, is moving. But that's just another, that's off topic, but I just think that's, that's really interesting. So the foundation is is built on us adorning ourselves for the Lord, aligning ourselves with his cosmos, aligning ourselves with that eternal purpose. Now, look at these next two because these are really powerful in light of what we've just talked about and what this word means and how it's used eternally and how it's used for us as the ecclesia of God. When Jesus talked about taking dominion over spirits and casting out devils, um, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he roams through to dry places. Look here in Matthew 12, and it's also in Luke this way. Verse 44, then he says, I will turn to my house from whence I came. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Garnished there is Cosmeo. Then he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits, the council of seven, more wicked than himself. They enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now, what is he saying here? in light of this garnishing well the key thing is empty because this doesn't just mean there's no food in the pantry this is a word that means leisure it means kicking back and not doing what you're supposed to do it means um emptiness because there has been no active labor it's the emptiness that comes from you saying you don't want to work anymore now this is the key thing in this because um, swept means it's cleaned out 
And garnished means that there is a beginning point of, of what God's identity for this place should be, cosmeo. And now I want to bring this into our current scenario because it's really been a strange dichotomy that during this past year and a half particularly, when God has been expanding the work that he's given to us as saints and there has been incredible um, strides forward and new places opening, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times at least, and I've heard it myself, where the enemy or my own mind being worn out saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. I've heard that from a lot of folks who are powerful in the Lord. And that is an enemy strategy because in this threefold thing that sets the stage for the Council of Seven, this is what the enemy wants. He wants to find a place that has been established and commissioned by the cosmos of God, a place that has been devoted in some ways or whatever ways to getting things in order. He wants this. And it's not even leisure. I put leisure there, but it's, it's not just leisure. It's any kind of thing that wants you to go into early retirement or to abandon the call. And that's the kicker. Uh, that's the thing that the enemy wants to influence because he wants, he wants the cosmeo to be in place. He, he loves to take the things that have been given to the children of God and turn them. He, he's made a career out of taking giftings and through bitterness twisting them into iniquity so that he can use them. Uh, the enemy doesn't create new things. He tries to steal and to kill and to destroy. He, he can only take what God releases to his people. And if he can convince them to quit or to give up or to enter into some kind of malfeasance, then he takes that, which is why it makes sense that um, in the eschatological literature you find that the the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist are going to be basing their pursuit of dominion on proskuneo. You know, forget about just the, the 666. Everywhere the mark of the beast is mentioned, everywhere, it's and proskuneo. If you don't take the mark and lay on your face before them, whoosh, for you. And so, unless you're one of the saints that God is hiding and protecting and carrying away on the wings of an eagle. Um, but the enemy wants this kind of thing. So that's why this spirit, this de- demon, is able to go and mobilize the council of seven because he says, I found one that has been aligned with the cosmeo of God. I found one that has begun well, but I found that this one has bought into the tactic of giving up, of surrendering, of setting yourself apart and not doing the work. 
And that's what interests the Council of Seven. That's the, you're not going to find a grunt demon being able to go and convince Leviathan and Beelzebub and that whole contingent to come to this. Demons don't, demons don't have that bark. They, they, they don't convince a prideful structure to come. But when they find one with these three, where there's the cosmeo of God in place, then it takes the notice of the Council of Seven, and that comes. That's something that we've taught, but it, that part never really made sense to me. Why would these ruling spirits be interested in this? That's the job of the minion enemy. But when you look at it in this way, this is sons that have given up. Um, and you say, well, are you saying that they were possessed? No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, where we're standing on this systemi right here, do you know how much spiritual warfare each of you and many others have engaged in to clear the enemy out of here and to take this dominion? Do you realize that? You know, I'm not saying that this place was demonized. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, what I am saying is that the histeme that we have been, that people from around the world have wanted to come and enjoy, um, we had to fight for and drive the enemy out of here. When Philip came, Simon the sorcerer was sourcing an histeme. And um, when the Spirit of the Lord came, that evil source was, was disbanded. Um, so I think for us, this is not, it's, it's multifaceted, it's multilayered. But when you throw in this word about the cosmeo, you realize you're talking about something that's identifying the bride of Christ. It's identifying the foundations of the walls of the great city of God. And so it's not just some minimal thing. This is high-level ecclesia identity. And so um, he comes to bring the Council of Seven. And uh, then how can it be worse than it, than it was? Because before the sons came and began aligning things and calling things forth, that was just a dormant histeme. And it probably was just something that was a wilderness or probably something that was nondescript. But once the enemy is able to come and take dominion over something that has been presented by the true sons and abandoned, then it makes sense that with the Council of Seven, with this newer weaponry, that it's going to be worse than before. Think about this. And i got to watch so that I don't get labeled as being racist. When our armed forces went into, say, Libya, chances are when we first went in there, the weapons that were being used, they were deadly, but they weren't state-of-the-art. But after we were there, and we moved in Humvees, and we moved in uh, rocket launchers, and we moved in all kinds of other uh, more state-of-the-art equipment, when we just decided we were going to abandon it to the Arab Spring, suddenly then 
would you say that that place was in worse condition now than before we got there? Yeah, I think we could all say that. Um, and um, that's the case throughout a lot of the Middle East. That's the case in, in Iraq. And it's, it's a sad thing, but we understand that in the natural. Well, in the spirit, that principle is ever more true. So this is really an interesting thing. Now, stay with the context of being leisure and being convinced of not wanting to do what you're supposed to do. And believe me, I'm not dismissing that. It's a very real thing. The Bible identifies it in the book of Daniel as, as a tactic of the, the enemy trying to wear out, to wear thin the saints. Look at this last passage here in Matthew 25, verses 6 through 9. And this is the parable of the ten virgins. At midnight was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed. Trimmed is cosmeo, their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Now earlier in this passage, they were lamenting, Our Lord delays his coming. He sold us a false promise, you know, that we're weary. We don't want to do this anymore. And they were called foolish because it was moros. And that is we don't want to partner with the musterion anymore. And how is musterion engendered? The Bible says when we pray in the Spirit, in the Spirit we speak musterion. And that's been the pattern of why God has been able to release the insights that he's given us because we're based on that kind of communication with God that not only intercedes according to his spirit, and when you're in diversities of tongues, you're interceding according to the genos, which is the root of David, and, and so many other things that were enunciated in the, in the beginnings book. But you're not, only, um, you're not only praying those things, but then God gives you insight and your understanding of the mysteries. And that's what you then teach those who come alongside, and they begin to reiterate those kinds of things. Um, it's, it's an interesting feeling. But those five foolish ones said, we're tired. We think that we've misinterpreted it. The Lord delays. He's probably not coming. And we don't really want to partner in this moros anymore. So we're foolish. We're moros. I guess they could have called him the, the AWOL from Musterion, because that's really what it means. So they, these virgins who were all there, initially devoted to waiting for the coming of the Lord, they have lamps, and they all suddenly get religion, and they start trying to mobilize the, the, the trimming, the what, what's going to burn, what's going to, to welcome the fire, what's going to transmit the light. That's what the wick is, and to trim it is cosmeo. That's a really weird thing that they would use, that the Spirit would use that word to describe what you would do with a wick. And as I've said on dozens of occasions, 
if it was just the issue of cutting or pruning, there were other words that could have been used for that. So cosmeo is kind of a strange word to be using for this. And so what do the foolish say? Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. And the wise ones say, there isn't going to be enough. Well, I can't give this to you. You go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And I would like to say here that truth is not always truth. If you're getting oil from the Hindus and from the Buddhists and from the Yahoo down the street that's running around naked at a men's retreat, and if you're doing crazy stuff saying that spiritual insight is spiritual insight, you are buying your oil from some other place than what brung you. This oil, oil represents you giving yourself to be pressed out. Oil means that you are before God and you are yielding the fruit of who you are to be pressed out by the Spirit. And that oil is what God uses to ignite the cosmeo. And you can have, it's, it's kind of the same thing as the house that is empty, swept, and garnished. You have the structure. You have spiritually released points of identity as sons. But what really burns within you is not the fuel that you need. And if you're used to going and getting it from here and from there and from here and from there or marching against this injustice or what, if that's what your identity is, <clears throat> that's not the oil that burns in this lamp. And so the wise ones say it's not a lack of love. The wise couldn't give their oil to them because you can't give your oil to somebody else. Even if you pray near them, even if they lay hands on you, you may get a little, a little oily, but in your lamp, there's only one way you get it, and that's being pressed by the burden of the Lord. And so these, these wise ones are ready, and they say to the foolish ones, why don't you go to your suppliers, see if you can get some. So they go scrambling, they, and by the time they get back with no oil, the door is closed. I think that's very interesting, don't you? So what's God saying to us? Why, why would he bring this insight? Let's just go back and look at it again. There are, and when we're functioning in the spirit of God, the identity of the Lord within us on behalf of the Lord, and he identifies himself there as the root and, and genos of David, and then, which is on earth, the bright and morning star is what is represented in the heavens for, for the things that are in the heavens and through the universe beyond. So in those two descriptions, the Lord's talking about the genos, which we're praying for, and the tabernacle of David, which is on earth, and then what's coming in eternity. Very clear. And with that perspective, he says... The Spirit and the Bride say, we are making declaration according to God's logos. Come. There are people that will come alongside us to learn. They will not say Lego. They'll say what we declare, what we, how we teach them, how we proclaim it. Um, they, they will 
<clears throat> they will come. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Let him that heareth say, this is Epo, come. I should have had Epo up behind say. I'm sorry. And then those that would come because of that establishment will drink of the water of life freely. And if they're thirsty, they'll, they'll come. Now remember, where this was made famous by the Lord, where he poured out and quoted Isaiah, we poured the water out, who, who is thirsty, come unto me and drink. That was in tabernacles, and that was in the midst of their celebration that was designed to be causing them to go forth as the people of God and take dominion. So this is dominion terminology all the way through. And so, um, but the point for us here as the, the established saints is that we've got to recognize that we are the ecclesia of God. We are, through that, being that union with Christ as anointed sons, and we are welcoming his kingdom, and we're welcoming his insights, and we're welcoming things that are specifically by his logos. And that's, that's what we teach and then those that we teach, whether it's in Brazil or Ohio or wherever, um, they then begin to embrace and learn, and they begin saying those things just like kids learn language from their parents. And then as they learn that and they establish themselves, then they begin to commune with God, and then God begins to speak to them about their histeme, and they begin getting legos, understandings, prosuke. They begin getting those, and they begin to declare into their line. But it's all that same foundation in that base, and it's all very clear here right at the end of Revelation. And as they establish that, then it will draw people in a megas way to come and drink of the fountain that's been established by them. So the point for us, though, is that we've got to be the bride, and, and that bride is the welcoming of heaven to earth, what God is wanting to do. So <clears throat> we say come. We say come to the people. We say come to the timing of the Lord. We say come to the events in his timetable. We say come to the things he wants to do. We declare those things. We urkamai those things. And... Um, we don't just sit in the back pew of the church saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, get us out of here. That's what the church interprets they're saying come to. But the Lord wants us to be busy. He's right here with us. It's kind of crazy. That would be like if, if the Lord came and said, we've got some work to do today, and the first 30 minutes you say to him, come Lord, come Lord, he's here. He's wanting to work with you. And... Um, that's, that's the message. So we are, we are to adorn ourselves. Uh, the, uh, the stones on our breastplate are aligned with his plan for the cosmos. And um, when we're functioning in that way, we are partnering with the foundation of the, that the walls of this glorious new, uh, new kingdom are. And we must be very careful that um, <laughs> we don't 
give up and listen to the enemy that says quit. See, that's really, it's really strange. Uh, if you study history, if you study war, um, you know, in every one of the wars that our nation has been involved in, in, um, in the past century, there was always enemy propaganda that would try to convince our soldiers to quit. You had, um, in Vietnam War, you had this Hanoi Hannah, which <laughs> is kind of weird. She, I, I won't imitate her. I could. Cause it's racist. But it's funny. She would say in, in a broken English, UGI, you go home. In, in World War II, the Germans would broadcast these things. Only they had a very persuasive voice, a woman saying, why are you over here fighting? You know, your sweetheart is at home under the apple tree with somebody else. You know, they would talk about the songs, don't sit under the apple tree, and they'd say these things. And, and trying to bring um, the soldier to the point where the will to war was gone. And, and even, you know, there were pamphlets that were distributed by the, by the Germans and the Austrians to, uh, in French and in English to the, to the people that fought in World War I saying the same kind of thing. Why are you fighting? This is too hard. You know, you're, you're giving your life for nothing. In, in the, and probably a lot of those soldiers in World War I really did. Because in 20 years, they'd be at war, or less than that, they'd be at war again for the same thing. But, you know, it's the strategy. Give up. Quit. You know, why are you doing this? And, uh, but in the spirit realm, it's very true. We cannot surrender the ground. We cannot surrender the histemis. We cannot surrender the things that God has allowed you to be victorious in in establishing the kingdom. Because that's just welcoming the, sevens, the, the, the Council of Seven. We can't do that. And we also have to be very careful that we keep the oil of fellowship and the oil of devotion flowing so that it's not enough to have a lamp and it's not enough to have the cosmeo that the fire is supposed to be on. The fire of the Lord is not going to burn on that unless you have the oil of fellowship and devotion within you just not so how do we keep that we keep flowing in the in the uh, moros of of fellowship in his mysteries which means we pray and we devote ourselves we don't quit those things we remain faithful in those and we recognize that all of these principles that are here in this thread are true but the the one thing though that i saw that has been in my heart for the past couple days the spirit and the bride say come that spirit of god within you as the bride are making these lego declarations for the timing of the lord for the season of the lord for the things god wants to do and for um, the people that he's bringing your earthly declaration of those things that are born in your spirit is power and um you know it's one of the things though and i've still got man i started late so i've got a little extra time here here's jesus he's right here 
Why doesn't he just say, come? I mean, why don't we just throw it off to him? He's there. Why is he telling us to do it? Because this is our role. See, a lot of times we think, well, God's going to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. You know, I don't really have to do anything. It's just going to come. I'm just going to be agnostic. If God's in it, it'll happen. I'll just wait. There's no sense to war. There's no sense to intercede. Why intercede? God's going to do what he wants to do. Have you ever heard that taught? Well, just make a quick declaration and be done with it. If your words have power, you don't have to, you don't have to work. You don't have to do any of those things. That's crazy talk. And here's Jesus. If he wanted to do it, he would do it. He could have said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify these things to the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And thus saith me, come. If he was going to do it, he'd have done it right there. But he's there, and he says to us, the spirit that's been implanted in each of you, invested in each of you as the bride, as the ecclesia, as the partner with God, you say, come. You call this forth. You be my voice. And you establish those who will come alongside and begin to, to reiterate those things that you teach them by the spirit of the pneumatikos walk. And as they establish themselves where they're to be, they will attract others to the water of life. They will, and people will be able to come and say, this is what I've been searching for. So it's our job. And it's our blessing. It's our privilege. So I'm grateful for this word. Um, and I can see the strategies that have been leveled against us um, and I don't mean to bemoan I don't mean to bemoan them, but if I don't mention them, then the enemy's going to sidle up to a lot of you who are hearing this, and as he does and says, everybody else is doing fine. You're just worn out. They won't miss you. But if you see, that's one of the things that I appreciated when the network started to form, because the enemy would tell us when we were just here that it's all your fault. If you had done this better, if you had done that better, if you hadn't made this mistake, and he'd say all those things. And then when other pastors started coming alongside and they'd say, you know, the enemy's been saying this to me about my church. And I'd think, huh, that's the same kettle of fish he was trying to sell us. And then this brother or this sister would say the same thing, and I'd think, wait a second. This is the strategy and he's playing the same card with everybody. So if I, as the pastor, am telling you, I've heard these things, sometimes the enemy will come to you and say, well, pastor, he doesn't have to face these things. He doesn't think these things. If I'm confessing that the enemy's tried to use this same strategy, and not just with me, I've heard it from a number of people. He wants us to abandon so he can come in and not only take us out, but take advantage of what we have fought hard for with God. Don't let him do that. It's inconsequential for the enemy. Look at it this way. Let's be faithful to our Lord. The greatest victories are ahead. It's important for us now to be saying, come, according to the Legos, to be declaring, to intercede, 
and to align ourselves with his throne and what's going on in in that that beautiful uh, temple of the tabernacle and the, the the establishment that's coming from heaven to earth the foundation is based on what you're doing here do you see that the foundation is adorned cosmeo with what you are patterning here with the lord it's it's just to me i love this this is great i just think it's great so i release this to you and um i pray that it will accomplish what it is that god needs to accomplish in each of us but to me i see it as an illumination and with every illumination like this there is a there's a culmination of sorts and an empowerment um so if i was at pastor levester's church i would say an illumination an invigoration and what was the other asian i had it there it's just i've lost it what was it illumination invigoration and not extermination <laughs> i'll think of it they're probably uh, Denise is shouting one of the words for me right now. So um, I had it. Where I hate that. Okay, let's think. There's illumination, inspiration, and invigoration. That's it. Whew. All right. Thanks for staying with me. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. And, uh, Father, I just ask you that you would cause your word to come alive in each of us and that um, the spirit within us would be cherished and embraced as your gift, your seed, your heart, who you are deep within each of us. May we fulfill what you put us on this earth in this time frame to fulfill. And may we be your agents, your saints, your ecclesia in this rather strategic, most strategic hour in the history of mankind or humankind, I guess. No, wait, what should I call it? I can't say man. Human, man. human has man in it. I don't know what the politically correct word is, but all of us. And we just bless you and we thank you for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you, church. And keep, keep that oil. Keep that oil flowing. Goodbye. <laughs>